As rural hospitals work to serve their patients locally, accessing state-of-the-art, cutting-edge, or advanced imaging technologies can be a barrier, meaning patients either leave town for care or don't get care at all. So, how do rural hospitals expand their offerings to give patients the care they need at home? With solid patient data, strategic analysis, and the right partner. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 82 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. You know, Rachel, improving health outcomes for communities is always a top priority uh, and certainly just top of the mind uh, for rural hospitals. And uh, diagnostics are a key piece of this equation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, it's it's not easy to provide advanced imaging when dealing with all the challenges we experience in rural health care. That's right. And today we're talking with someone who makes it just a little bit easier, or should I say a lot easier, maybe makes it possible um, to bring that kind of care to hospitals like ours. Absolutely. Our guest today is Brian Madison, President and CEO of the HCS Group, and we welcome you to Rural Health Rising. Thanks, JJ. Thanks, Rachel. I'm pleased to be here. So to start, Brian, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at the HCS Group? Sure. Um, well, I've been in healthcare for my whole career, um, which has been a long time. I won't tell you how long that's been, but it's been quite some time. Um, been in, specifically in radiology uh, for about 23 years, um, and uh, we I started with a, we started a company was we did healthcare staffing. And back then, we actually staffed um, different departments, nuclear medicine departments and ultrasound departments throughout um, throughout Michigan. Um, Is that what the HCS stands for? Healthcare staffing? <laughs> yeah, healthcare solutions. Yeah, exactly. Okay, oh, yeah. there we go. Close. Yeah, close. very close. So um, in 2005, um, I was approached by a um, health system. They were getting a mobile PET CT scanner and um, and asked me if I'd have an interest in um, operating it, managing it, and and running it for them. So we started um, with one PET-CT scanner at that time. Um, Today, uh, we've grown. um, We operate um, uh, throughout the state of Michigan. We have about seven PET-CT scanners and about 13 mobile MRI scanners uh, throughout the state of Michigan. Have about 60 employees working with with our group. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, obviously, we're going to get into the more specifics uh, of what services that you offer communities like Hillsdale. But, you know, I want to start with the why. And and we do this on every podcast just to get to know our guests a little bit better. And so uh, I want to know, Brian, what is your why? Uh, What motivates you and what gets you up out of bed in the morning to do the work that you do? That's a great question, JJ. Um, I first got into healthcare because um, I think it's one of the most unique industries you can work in. You touch someone's life at their most vulnerable moment. Um, When they come in to get a PET CT scan or an MRI, it's not like going to Disney or buying a new car. Um, We have a lot of patients that are are concerned, family members concerned, and and so it really truly is a calling to work in, in healthcare. So that's why I got into it initially. What gets me out of bed today is, quite frankly, um, I am uh, very fortunate to work with a group of people that have the same type of passion that I do. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we all and healthcare is a challenge. I mean, let's face it, it's it's not an easy business, but it's it's um, a business that you feel like you're 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 doing good um, and you can help somebody through a process in which um, they're not familiar with particularly with PET CT, because of course, 98% of patients going through PET is oncology. And mm-hmm. um, it's very confusing once a patient gets diagnosed with cancer, has to work through that. And you you need to be empathetic um, um, uh, and, and work with all the partners that are involved in that patient's care. And um, it's, it's, it's a great business to be in. Brian, first, let's just lay the groundwork for those who are maybe not familiar with PET-CT. What is PET-CT? How is it different than a regular CT? And then also, I've read that there's such thing as PET-MRI. So what's the difference with that as well? Sure. Uh, Great question, Rachel. Um, uh, PET is a a very unique um, diagnostic tool. Um, What PET stands for is... um, is positron emission tomography. And, and, and what it is, it's uh, two systems. It's PET and CT system fused together. And what, what I mean by that is the PET part is a molecular part. What we do is we um, um, give a patient an injection of a, a radioisotope um, that is glucose-based. Um, so uh, in, in with cancer, it um, hypermetabolizes glucose, okay? So the PET part, we inject the patient, they sit quietly for about 45 minutes while the, the isotope circulates throughout the body. Um, then when they get a PET scan, the, the PET part shows that there might be cancer cells, but without the CT, you don't know where the cancer is. The CT shows the anatomy. Oh. The computer fuses images together so that now you know exactly where the cancer cells are within the organs. A- another analogy um, would be, let's say you're, you're watching the local news and the meteorologist is showing a storm coming in from the northwest. and But there's no silhouette of the states. So you can see, oh, yeah, there's a, mm. there's a winter storm coming. Um, but you really can't tell if it's in you know, Washington or Idaho or approaching Montana. When you lay over the states, you can now see, oh, it is in Montana. That's how PET-CT works. You see where the cancer is. You overlay it with the the anatomy of the CT. Now the physician can, can determine exactly where the cancer is in the body. Does that make sense? Yes, that is a great, I love analogies. JJ will tell you, I speak in analogies and metaphors so that now I fully get it. (laughs) So with that, when we talk about um, advanced imaging services like PET-CT, these are, as you said before, very important diagnostic testing. Um, It's pretty unique, but it's also a lot easier to find in suburban and urban areas just because it is that higher level of technology so, you know, from your perspective and in your experience, what makes it so hard for rural hospitals to offer these services? Why isn't it more common to have PET-CT in a smaller hospital? Well, and because of the advancement of the technology, it comes with a high price tag, right? So, um, right. you know, the unit that we have is is north of $2 million. And um, so to in, in today's healthcare market, 
to to for a, a smaller hospital to spend two million dollars and not be able to maximize the capacity every day, five, six days a week. It doesn't make financial sense. Um, and, and I think in, a, in an environment that we are bringing is a mobile platform, but doesn't necessarily decrease the quality. We're bringing that state of art technology that you find in tertiary urban hospitals to the local community on a day to day basis. Um, which helps with the cost, but still delivering the quality. So it's really like a, a cost-sharing economies of scale type of approach between your multiple hospitals that you work exactly. with. Exactly, our mobile units move every day, um, and uh, and so what you're able to do from you know Hillsdale Hospital is buy a a you know a, a, a segment of that unit. Um, until their volume grows. And as the volume grows, you add more days. And so it makes perfect sense because now you're maximizing the capacity while you're delivering the, the service. And it's really important with PET because, um, you, you know, you, we, we want to get the PET scan. We want a patient to get a PET scan pretty quickly, right? And uh, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, we can get there weekly, but for a shorter period of time, then we make sure we get all the patients done in a, in a prompt manner. Where if they go to an urban hospital, they may, it may take them a couple of weeks, three weeks or so to get a PET scan where we could actually get them, uh, get it done quicker at uh, a smaller hospital like Hillsdale. I didn't even think about that factor. I was just really thinking about the geography. But yeah, the, the actual scheduling makes a big impact as well. Absolutely. You know, before your team partners with a rural hospital like Hillsdale uh, to offer these advanced imaging technology services, um, how do you specifically as the CEO or business team analyze, uh, you know, put together your performance on whether it will even be a viable option for that respective community, you know, for the beginning as the discussions uh, occur. Now, you know, if obviously low patient volumes uh, make it tough for hospitals to even offer these services independently, how do you determine the level of risk for you and the hospital that you work with before you begin providing these services? Yeah. Um, well, JJ, it's, it's, uh, it takes a teamwork on that, right? So, um, like, I, I don't necessarily know the, in, the local community, so I work closely with the executive leadership like yourself to determine, you know, what is your strategic initiatives? What are you looking to do? Um, if we're looking at PET-CT, it's, as I said, it's, it's oncology-based. So we're looking at um, what strategic partners are you doing on the oncology side that we can team up with to deliver that service. That's number one. Number two, we know that through our experience, um, we can look at certain physician specialties and, and get kind of a ballpark idea of what we think that volume would be. For instance, pulmonology. You know, if there's a group between five to seven pulmonologists, I would expect three to five uh, PET scans a week. Um, and and uh, most of the time, um, they do a lot of solitary nodules. If there's a solitary nodule greater than a centimeter, it qualifies for a PET scan. In fact, they should get a PET scan. That's that's the gold standard um, of getting a PET scan before a biopsy. Um, and uh, so that is one. And then secondly, when it comes to the the you know the overall cost structure. One thing that's unique with us is that we do the risk sharing on that. So we're not saying, oh, yeah, we'll sign a contract. You're going to park it there for a day. Good luck. Build your business. Our model encourages us to work together collaboratively to figure out what we can do to, to attract more 
uh, patients or make them more aware, should I say, of the services that we're providing and the physicians. Um, and I think the other thing that that's important, particularly with with cancer patients, is that they have so many pa- they have so many appointments throughout their course mm-hmm. of treatment, whether it's you know radiation, medical oncology, etc. Um, that we really need to go to those urban areas and say, listen, um, you know, for your patients that live in and around Hillsdale County, Lenaway County, they should be going to Hillsdale um, for their PET scan. Um, and here's the equipment that we have. Here's the radiologist that we have. Um, we can provide the same level of care that, you're, that you would get um, in the urban setting. And it's less stress on the patient and their families. So, JJ, I want to ask you, because you really pushed hard to bring PET CT services to our community here in Hillsdale. We've been, um, you know, working on this for quite a while, and you've been talking about it for a long time. Um, So, as a hospital CEO, um, and as our hospital CEO in particular, why focus on bringing in this particular service? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of specialties and new services that we've been working on, but why did PET make it to the top of the list for you? Well, first of all, Rachel, we've talked before about, uh, you know, a scripture verse that I often use, where there is no vision, the people perish. And uh, so I had a vision, you know, that we would build out programs such as PET for our community, in, in particular for the challenges that we face in a rural, very poor community, and that is transportation. So to Brian's point, uh, you know, having patients have this access close to home when they're sick, that that's the challenge, right? I mean, uh, my mother just uh, passed from cancer, as you know. My sister passed from cancer a few months ago, and the travel that my wife and the journey she had to take before we had pet. This was just literally one month before we had pet. My mom passed. Um, was so t- took such a toll on both my sister and my mother that you know I, it even just resonated again the reality of these services needing to be here in our backyard for the ease and comfort of our patients. Because when you consider a cancer patient who can't even control their pain with heavy narcotics, a drive 45 minutes to an hour and a half, it, it's, it's altering. Um, I took my sister uh, on that drive and uh, we all were sharing responsibility. Every bump we hit, God is my witness, was excruciating pain for her. The journey that would normally be 45 minutes was an hour and a half to get there. Uh, just, you know, maneuvering the potholes and the roads in Michigan. Um, and so I, I know firsthand that the difference is she lives, she lived, you know, 10 minutes away from the hospital and on, on a straight shot right up here on Hillsdale Road. And so I know the value of this from a family perspective. But beyond that, before even the cancer was introduced to my family for these type of services, um, I understood that in order to create a continuum of care, in order to have a great oncology program, which we'll be partnering with here into the very near future, we need a continuum of care. And to have the oncology program Without right. a PET scan, it, to me, is not effective. And we know that bringing our pulmonologist here, an amazing team of pulmonologists that we have, and understanding that we're going to have a relationship uh, with an oncology yes. service, that th- it's, it's only natural to have PET uh, here at our hospital. It's not really, you know, and, we, and, and there's a risk share here. I mean, you know, Brian's kind enough where he's not charging me for a full day of PET services. He's only requiring me to have a few guarantees. And uh, my push then is to make sure that we have greater than that number uh, showing up here, which is a service that 
I feel is valuable uh, to our patients in their families. Now, I was at an event at Halloween, and I was judging costumes uh, at our local high school. And uh, a gentleman came up to me probably in his early 70s. Um, True story, just overwhelmingly uh, satisfied, happy, exhibiting smiles, uh, saying, I want to thank you. Now, normally I don't get that, Rachel. Normally I get, you know, my bill's too high. You people need to stop doing this. (laughs) I waited 27 hours in the ER for a Band-Aid. You know how the stories go. Um, but this guy was happy and this guy was excited. So I'm thinking we did something right. He said, I heard your announcement about PET scan. Um, I'm getting ready to go through treatment and I can't imagine driving to, and I won't tell you the place, which is a, an hour and 45 minutes from here to have these tests done. I can do them. He, he literally lives two blocks from the hospital. Um, that's, those are the stories, the, the patient testimonials. Those are the, those are the, the reasons that's the why for me is it's not just a business proposition. The reality of it is we may lose on this long-term, uh, but what are we gaining? We're gaining the patient's, uh, experience much better. We're keeping them close to home. And then from a business perspective, we may, you know, we may see a loss on, on some of that pet. I don't think we will. I think your downstream revenue and some other opportunities are great. But even if we did, this community benefit to me is just as important as having the psychiatric ward, which we have, and our behavioral health and other services that we offer this community at a, at a cost to the hospital. It's the cost of doing business. And, and trust mm-hmm. me, the Performa that we built, knowing that the volume of individuals that have cancer in our geographical location and knowing what our pulmonary practice is doing. I mean, we're, we just got the recent, uh, I received the recent uh, report from our um, Chartist group, it's called, and it's actually a, 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 a report on how well we do with quality measures. So I know our quality is good and I know that uh, our patients want to use us, but if we don't have the modalities to offer them, right, then I'm going to be struggling to be able to keep that, that quality score high. And, and what good is it if I can't offer them a complete comprehensive service? Number two is getting the recent report from Koala. And that report is that we have taken the market in pulmonology and other services. So if I'm taking the market in pulmonology and these other, I need to have a full complement of services. And so this really just hones in on that continuum of care, Rachel, that keeps patients here close to home, especially when they're at the most fragile state of their life. To me, it's just critical. Yeah. And we have heard in the past, not as much anymore, but, you know, oh, I wish I could get this done at Hillsdale or can I get this done at Hillsdale? Um, so we know that we have patients who, when when we don't offer something, they wish we did because they would rather um, do that in, in their own community where they're comfortable and where they know the Absolutely, team and, and all of that good stuff. I agree. And I, I believe Hopefully we really we'll hear will. less and less so, of that. You know, Brian, uh, in your experience, what does the ramp up, you know, we talk about ramp ups in, in our business and, you know, for an example, to bring a new provider here, it's going to take a year to, to get that provider established, you know, and there's ramp ups with every type of business opportunity. But in this particular service line, you know, we're, we have CEOs and CFOs and business leaders listening to this podcast 
across America, you know, and their question may be, what's a ramp up look like for that? So that, you know, with any new offering, we have to have that referral pattern built. We get that. Um, we have to get that that provider to understand the relationship of use your local hospital and our hospitalists, you know, and our community physicians all play a great role in this and they work very closely together uh, for that referral base. But you have to have a solid referral base and um, in your mind uh, and experience, uh, how long does that take? Well, it, it does vary from from community to community. But let me tell you, I think that, the you know, there is a challenge to break referral patterns, right? But here's how you do it. And here's our philosophy. Um, I truly believe that we're an extension of a physician's practice. And um, when they refer a patient to us and that patient has a great experience, they go back to that physician and say, you know, thank you, Dr. Smith. That was an amazing experience. Secondly, they're running their own business. And so what we can do to help them and running their practice better, that helps break those those traditional referral patterns. Let me give you an example. Um, we, we we I think there's four things um, that really drive a successful program. One is that we work with a referring physician office in terms of access. We want to get their patients in as quickly as possible. Secondly, today, because of the complexity of that of insurance and authorizations, a lot of physician practices spend money and resources getting authorizations for their patients, because, um, but yet they're, they're spending human resources to do that, and yet we're getting the compensation for it. In our model, we take care of that. Right. We'll help them get the authorization. And there's a, be- there's a twofold benefit on that. One, we have an authorization team that understands the medical necessities surrounding PET-CT, so we can get we can make sure that that patient meets those medical necessities before we attempt, which minimizes the number of denials and authorizations and less hassle on the referring physician. And then once we get the patient there, the other important part is that we work closely with our radiologists that they get a report back to actually de- gives them the information they need to improve the patient management of care. And then lastly, is really exceeding the, the patient's expectations as they go through in their experience. So I think that, you know, the, the hard part initially is you go out to the, the community, you explain what you do, you deliver what you promise, and once you build that trust, then things start to happen. And, um, and so there's a lot of legwork on the front end to get that, that ball rolling, but I know that they'll, they'll have a better experience in the long run once they use our service. Well, and, you know, ultimately providing these types of services is about patient outcomes. And I was just uh, doing a little research on, you know, because I, I could assume that outcomes in rural communities are typically worse for cancer um, than they might be in urban and suburban communities. And what I found was interesting from a recent CDC study, um, rural counties tend to have a lower incidence of cancer but the death rates from cancer are much higher, which just tells you about the disparity in access to care um, for a multitude of reasons. And maybe not just access to care, but also actually accessing the care when it is available because of things we talk about all the time, like transportation, um, you know, income, even education, some of those kinds of things. 
Um, but that makes this even more important. And I know that you don't only serve rural communities with your pet CT. You also have a mobile, uh, you use your mobile pet CT for, you know, hospitals that maybe they're doing a renovation on their space and they need a temporary option. But working in the rural space in general, um, from your perspective and in your experience, how does the availability of this level of care close to home impact those health outcomes for the rural communities that you serve? That's a great question, Rachel. I um, really, um, I think with with PET is actually a diagnostic tool that's used to stage a patient's uh, uh, cancer. Um, and, and it's the, usually many times, depending on the indication, the patient won't start care until PET scan is done. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me is, is some of the, um, some hospitals will say, well, you know, PET scans, they're not stat. They're not like a CT. They're not like an MRI. And, and I beg to differ with that. If it's my family member, JJ, like your, your mom and, and that, that if, if, if they get diagnosed with cancer, it is stat, um, that initial stage. Amen. Preach it, it is, for the people in the back. It is extremely important. And, and, um, and, our, and me and our staff, we are passionate about this. And, and, and I always tell our staff, treat these patients the way you want your family member treated. And if that mm-hmm. was the case, we would do whatever we can to get them a PET scan as soon as possible. Um, and so that is, that's the part that I think in a rural community, if they have to drive an hour and a half to get care and that urban setting is really busy, there could be a three, four, five week delay in getting treatment. Um, and, and yet the, the treatment stalled until they get that PET scan. Um, right. so, and then tying into that, I think the other important part in the local community is we got to make sure that people are getting the proper screening today with lung screenings, uh, CTs. So, you know, there's, there's an interesting statistic with lung cancer that we have all this technology, but yet the five-year survival of lung cancer is the same as it's been for the last 20 years because it's a silent killer. Wow, It's a silent killer. What they need to do is we need to do a better job. Of and the, and now it's covered by insurance to do CT screens, do CT lung screening, identify maybe there's now a small lung nodule that we do a PET scan on and we treat that immediately as opposed to patient presenting in the ER with 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 co- complications that's a stage four. So it it all kind of mm-hmm. ties in together, and I think we can do a better job in the rural community in in promoting that um, to to improve the outcome of care when um, if and when they do have cancer. You know, Brian, that's spot on. And uh, it's it's for all of those reasons why I chose to go with, you know, HCS as our partner. Um, first of all, Nicole called me and she said, hey, this guy looks like Clark Kent. Uh, he acts like Superman. This guy is amazing. His company is awesome. And I'm like, all right. And it's true. I mean, all the above. You, you, this is a podcast, but the guy is. And at the end of the day, though, the the mission driven is what I like about this program. You are not focusing on, um, you know, just driving the volumes, driving the volumes. That's a component of business. I get it. But to your aspect, it's a stat. And yeah. and offering this in our community um, will will truly impact lives. And so the relationship that we play, you know, is that a hospital my size, you know, we're called a tweener. 
and that's uh, in between the bigs and, you know, the critical access or so tweener hospital, right? And so we do not have all the financial resources to go out and purchase, you know, all of this technology on our own. So the relationship, and if you're listening to this podcast and you're in a rural hospital setting uh, or in a critical access hospital setting, and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way I can afford pet technology or MRI technology, let me tell you, the way that you can accomplish this to provide these services to your patients in your backyard um, is to contract with someone like HCS uh, or with HCS. I'm sure you'd love to hear from you uh, because this technology that can you know cost hospitals a significant amount of capital, uh, it can be reduced by having this type of arrangement. And you slowly build your volumes. Uh, and for us, Rachel, it's going from, my goal is to go from one day to two days to three days. And hopefully I'm being truthful that we have a full program here where patients know that they can get that next day scan right here at Hillsdale Hospital. And to me, that's a huge piece of providing service, you know, to the home. Uh, and, right. and, and this is so critical uh, of, of rural hospitals and you can accomplish it uh, through arrangements like this. Now, let me just ask you, and I know we've been talking about PET and, and, and all, of, uh, all of those services, but you also do mobile MRI, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and just for, just for the conversation today, what does that look like in terms of, you know, those services? Um, well, it, it's a similar approach, um, but uh, the, the, the stereotype of a mobile MRI, at least in the Michigan market, is, oh, it's old technology, you know, uh, nobody wants to do that. And we've really taken the same approach with MRI. Um, we, our systems, our wide bore systems, uh, new technology, faster systems, um, uh, you know, a channel count in the MRI is actually the higher the channel count, the, the better the image. We have, um, again, um, academic type MRIs, but they're just in a they're in a they're in a mobile uh, trailer, mobile coach. And it's right. not this is not like a semi trailer like you see down the freeway. These mobile coaches are five hundred thousand dollar coaches. I mean, they're they're very expensive. They have to be their medical coaches. But right. same philosophy. We bring it. We bring. Um, wide bore, high end MRI technology to, uh, to various facilities throughout the state of Michigan. Yes, you do. And, you know, and just to speak to that, you know, your expectations are also high of the facilities that you go into as well. You're not going to allow us to be backed up to, a, you know, an old nasty loading dock. In fact, your your specifications cost me a pretty penny uh, that we had to build out. and We put nice glass, and uh, you know, over uh, the area where you enter. And so, no, and I appreciate that because you want the patient experience to be the best. And, you know, they're not coming into a rinky-dink trailer and, and walking into like the back end of a semi. Don't think of that when you hear this today. Uh, we're talking state-of-the-art, high you know, high, high technology. Uh, we're talking beautiful um, environment as you walk into this. Um, so truly, truly, you know, world-class as we think about it, delivered right into these respective communities. So, you know, Brian, we could speak probably on this issue for another hour because I think your passion is as real as ours in terms of providing services to rural communities, or you wouldn't be doing this. I mean, obviously, 
it's it's a labor of love because you could easily just with your experience and background, uh, you could fly off to other places and you could certainly do uh, much more, probably for a better return on your investment. But I really appreciate the commitment that you're making, at least, you know, as I see it here in Michigan with the relationship to pet and the other services that you're offering. It's it's truly a ministry almost of sorts. And and you can see the passion. You can hear the passion in your voice, uh, and that is just, it's incredible to see it because what you know is that the end result of this test, specific to PET, um, will and does change lives. And and when someone's life is in the balance, um, this is, what we're dealing with isn't just about making little trinkets in, in you know, factories. We're talking about life you know, life and death situations for people. And I really appreciate your approach about taking care of the the patient, the holistic approach. I do. Well, and I just have to say, you know, we we talk a lot in the healthcare industry about health equity. And we don't talk enough about rural health equity. Um, and this is one of those issues that, you know, for us who work in rural healthcare, care, um, it's at, at the forefront of the health equity conversation for us. But services like this and what you have have built and are able to bring to rural communities is part of the effort to improve health equity in rural communities compared to urban and suburban so that your zip code doesn't define your likelihood of surviving a cancer diagnosis. So true. And I, I guess from my perspective, when I first met JJ and your leadership team, I, I also saw the passion as well. And that's a key part about this. I have, you know, we have some other, some clients that it's, well, it's your responsibility to do that. It's a team effort. And I think that type of uh, passion and commitment to do better in the, and build something in the community, um, it'll be a win. I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity to work with you. And we are going to make this thing great. And so, uh, Brian, I want to thank you again for joining us on Rural Health Rising. It's been a pleasure uh, to hear about your passion, your business, your industry, uh, and the impact that it is making in rural communities just like Hillsdale. So thanks for joining us today. I appreciate the opportunity. Before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your most favorite memories that is unique to rural life? <laughs> well, I, I tell you, um, I, uh, I make memories every summer um, on Devil's Lake on the sandbar. Um, so I, I live in Lenawee County. Um, I'm, you know, it's a neighboring community to Hillsdale County. And, uh, and I, I moved there about a year and a half ago because I, one, I, I love the community. I love the, the rural area. And, um, and there's nothing like, um, Devil's Lake, uh, in the middle of summer on sand, on the sandbar. In fact, my daughter is saying, Hey dad, I, I mean, it's right up there with like Christmas to her. I mean, it's, uh, Christmas and sandbar on Devil's Lake. So, um, that's awesome. Every, every summer we're making great. better memories. And I hope that, uh, maybe this summer we can have you out there and enjoy some time as well. Absolutely. I would love to do that. And uh, until we can do that, I want to wish you the best uh, in your endeavors. And thank you for your partnership here at Hillsdale Hospital. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. 
I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Brian Madison, President and CEO of the HCS Group. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.